Well, Father Harrison, um, big news. We have a we have a big debut today. Yeah, we're we're in person with each other. We're in person again, which is which is big news, and that's yep. great. Um, but we are introducing a new producer to the podcast. That's right. This is producer Indiana. Uh oh, Uncle Anthony's about to uh, gloat. Yes, I am going to gloat. She's a perfect little baby girl. So uh, yeah, Nick and Riley had their had their daughter, and uh, I asked. Uh, Producer uh, producer Indiana to be on the show. Yeah. Because um, she's got some opinions about some things. I'm sure. She does. So, uh, Like what time she likes her naps. Mm-hmm. But uh, she's got, you know, she's a smart girl mm-hmm. for being like two weeks old. Uh, she's got some opinions about things. So, uh, Indiana, what do you think about integralism? Yeah? Okay. No, I, okay. I, I agree. I agree. I agree. What about priests with long hair? Priests with long hair? Well... Hmm. Oh, we'll have to work on that. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Oh, yeah. No, I respect your opinion, uh, you know, but agree or disagree. Uh, what about uh, Americanism? How do you feel about that, Indy? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, yeah, so... Um, Eloquently put, really. It's beautiful. And Very. she's really expressing how I'm feeling right now, to be honest. Oh, yeah. So, it's great. <laughs> we, we are kindred spirits. Now, as you have said to me before, that our podcast has literally produced a human being now. Yes. If it wasn't for our podcast, Indiana would not exist. That's right. And so, Nick and Riley are eternally in debt to us. No, that's obvious. This is obvious, right? Yeah. And do you know the story how I got my name? How did you get your name? Uh, my my mom was pregnant with me when Raiders of the Lost Ark was out in theaters, mm-hmm. and my dad saw it like fourteen times, <laughs> and it was his Dark Knight. My I saw Dark Knight like that many times, right? Anyway, so my mom he finally convinced my mom to go see it with her, and she goes, "Huh, Harrison, that's a good long name to go with a short last name." And so because they're so grateful to us for this podcast, mm-hmm. I've just intuited that actually it's an homage to me, Harrison, who is played by Harrison Ford in. Indiana Jones. Oh, you know what? That's probably the exact reason why the name. I am sure. Well, actually, really, let's be honest. I think it's more. She had a moment of. She lost her mind for a moment in the midst of you know pregnancy is hard and not easy, and she Mm -hmm. just thought this for some reason and then regretted it ever since. But it was already permanent on the birth certificate. Uh, Maybe. Now that being (laughs) said, they have watched uh, the first Raiders of the Lost Ark together as a family. Mm -hmm. Indiana has also seen her first WWE ladder match. Amazing. Getting. uh, She's listened to Meatloaf already. Has Uh, she listened to us? Uh, no, because this will be the first episode that comes out after her right. birth. So. Right. Well, she has to listen to herself, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. Everyone likes listening to themselves at first on the podcast. Right. Though I hope it's not like, too awkward for her, like she's embarrassed by her baby voice because it sounds different in her head, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but also, hey, let's just set the stage because we are in person. Yes. We're in Washington, D.C. Well, Virginia. Uh, Virginia. Washington, D.C. is not really a place. It's not a place. It's not even a state. No. It's, it's a district. A, it's a district. Of Columbia. Yeah. And we are at the, the, the last household. Yes. Our dear yep. friend Shannon Lass and JVL and yep. their wonderful kids. They've yep. been very kind to us. That's right. I've been here a bit longer and I'll be staying a bit longer. But uh, you came all the way out from Pittsburgh just to say hi and yes. play Civ Five. Yes. Well, I figured four and a half <laughs> hours away is a lot closer than like 20 hours away wherever you live out. Oh, it would be multiple days of driving. Yeah, it would be ridiculous. So, yeah. so here we are. Yeah, here we are. No, it's been good. It's good. So we like, we're like, we got to do something. Since we're in person. Got to record So JVL has set us up on his uh, podcast recording 
mechanism and uh yeah. yeah so if things sound a little different that's why do you want to just jump into the topic sound like we have any tweets i don't i haven't really been on twitter since so i'm on holidays yeah now my holidays have unfortunately had to end a little early which mm-hmm. i'm not super pleased about but it is what it is yeah uh, so i had book back on monday so that's actually my stay with the last has actually been extended because i was supposed to go to notre dame after this I was supposed to give a paper at a con at the the, the Nicholas Center uh, Fall Conference, that's all been canceled. I, there's an emergency in my parish I have to get back to. Yes. You're, this is every and, pastor's worst nightmare. And then a second emergency literally just popped up right now, about 10 minutes before we started recording. So I'm a little depressed right now. And um, I'm emo, Father Harrison. That's so... Yeah. Yeah. It'll be okay. Or actually, it probably won't be okay, but this no. episode will be okay. Yeah, Hopefully. I hope. I hope. <laughs> All right, let's jump into presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral exhortations. Oh yes, yes. quite good, quite good. Indubitably. <laughs> I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. <laughs> yes, yes, quite. Yes, quite. quite. See, this is. You need to calm yourself down with some Ratzinger, because I know you've been reading your little book, this little little Ratzinger book. It's been, let's, let's go to your happy place. It's been the sanity in the midst of a storm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I just I thought he has this little bit about forgiveness and the church that I thought was really neat that I think is is um, worth discussing, because for him. Um, so yeah, I'm reading. I'm rereading "Called to Communion" right now, which is a little book. I was actually reading it in preparation for my talk, but I'm like, oh, I might as well finish it anyways because I need it for studies. Yeah. But he has this bit about um, about forgiveness and the the nature of the church, the schema of the church, and how how the church is structured. He's talking about like the sacramental structure of tradition through apostolic succession, really fun, cool stuff, which is definitely like apropos to my chapter on history for my thesis. However. And I'm trying to actually just find it right now. So this is, uh, it's weird. It's different in person, isn't it? It is. It's actually a little awkward for a second. Cause I'm like, wait, I have to get used to being here. Yes. Because like we are sitting side by side next to each other at a slight angle talking to each other. That's right. Let's see if I can find it here. Okay. Here it is. So I'm going to read a quote here. Um, that it's a little long, but I think it's, his point is so important in the church today because I think we actually forget this 99.999% of the time in how we understand the life of the church, how we understand her continuity, and how we understand her ability to remain faithful to God despite us, <laughs> essentially. It's a little long, so just bear with me. I'm sure this is fair use. So, yeah. So the New Testament shows us more than the formal aspect of a structure in regards to the church. It reveals to us the inward nature of this structure of the church is that it does not merely furnish proof texts. It is a permanent criterion and task. So what he's saying here, just before I continue is essentially that the new Testament is not something that we look to the past to justify our present, but rather it's always presenting to us what is ought to always be present in the church today. So the texts of scripture then are not a dead word that the past this is why proof texting is bad actually because proof texting often becomes a way to justify my position Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but rather it's by looking to scripture which is participates in the word of god the revelation of god it's a living word Mm -hmm. 
which is constantly proposing to the church her essential nature and structure. And so we always have to look to this as something that God's constantly inviting us to renew constantly each and every day. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, I like that. Yeah. So he says that the New Testament depicts the tension between scandalon, that's the Greek word for scandal, and rock. Or another word to put this is the, the, the tension between sin and orthodoxy or sin and redemption. Okay. Yeah. In the very disproportion between man's capacity and God's sovereign disposition, it reveals God to be the one who truly acts and is present. If in the course of history, the attribution of such authority to men could repeatedly engender the not entirely unfounded suspicion of human arrogation of power, not only the promise of the New Testament, but also the trajectory, trajectory of that history itself proved the opposite. The men in question, that is like the apostles, are so glaringly, so blatantly unequal to this function that the very empowerment of man to be the rock makes evident how little it is they who sustain the church, but God alone who does so, who does so more in spite of men than through them. <laughs> the mystery of the cross is perhaps nowhere so palpably present as in the primacy as of of Rome as a reality of church history, that its center is forgiveness, is both its intrinsic condition and the sign of the distinctive character of God's power. When the church adheres to these words in faith, she is not being triumphalistic, but humbly recognizing in wonder and thanksgiving the victory of God over and through human weakness. Whoever de deprives these words of their force for fear of triumphalism or of human usurpation of authority does not proclaim that God is greater, but diminishes him. Since God demonstrates the power of his love and thus remains faithful to the law of the history of salvation precisely in the paradox of human impotence. For with the same realism with which we declare today the sins of the popes and their disproportion to the magnitude of their commission, we must also acknowledge that Peter has repeatedly stood as the rock against ideologies, against the dissolution of the word into the plausibilities of a given time, against subject subjection to the powers of this world. We see this in the facts of history. We are not celebrating men, but praising the Lord who does not abandon the church and who desired to manifest that he is the rock through Peter, the little stumbling stone, flesh and blood do not save, but the Lord saves through those who are of flesh and blood. To deny this truth is not a plus of faith, not a plus of humility, but is to shrink from the humility that recognizes God as he is. Therefore, the Petrine promise and its historical embodiment in Rome remain at the deepest level an ever-renewed motive for joy, for the powers of hell will not prevail against it. Really good stuff. Yeah, it's, it's kind of... So one of the great struggles... I think in general, but in a specific and particular way in our age that a lot of Catholics go through is that we look around, we see the news, we see the world, we see our own parishes, our own experiences, and it seems like everything is bad, mm -hmm. and there's just human incompetence at every turn. Um, and that can be incredibly disillusioning, yeah. depressing, sad. Yeah. 
But Benedict is almost like flipping it on its head here and saying that's actually one of the proofs of God's triumph. That and I like how he says, because we always say, you know, God works, you know, through humans. But he also puts like sometimes also in spite of. Yes. <laughs> like we do everything we can to ruin stuff and God still ends up sanctifying, bringing people to the church, bringing people to heaven, forgiving and that sort of thing. Um, and it's what, what what struck me as you were reading it is there's a, a, a need to fundamentally change our understanding of what the church is is and does mm-hmm. um, that because maybe it's it's because this is one of the, the difficult things with Catholic rhetoric and maybe rhetoric isn't the great a uh, good word but a lot of times we under we, we know certain phrases mm-hmm. but we don't know the depths of their meaning for example mm-hmm. like the uh, the fact that the church is inviolate mm-hmm. that the church is always holy mm-hmm. these things are absolutely true but a lot of times we translate those things in thinking, well, the sh- church then should look like this mm-hmm. because of my understanding of what those words mean. Right. And, yeah, and often the church will look like that one day when Christ comes again. Yes. But not yet. Yeah, and there's like glimpses of it. There's yeah. glimpses of, in the saints. There's glimpses of that we even experience. Like uh, when you've made a really good confession and you leave the confessional and you're free. Or when um, those moments that seem very rare that uh, you're just able to pray at mass and the profundity, everything hits you. You get glimpses of how holy the church always is. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, um, understanding that these, how, is it it fair to say the sinfulness of the church isn't a bug? It's a feature? Yeah, (laughs) because... Because the church is the collection of human sinners, mm-hmm. right? And this is the thing. Like this is his point. He's saying every apostle is inadequate to the task. Yeah. Right. God chooses them not because of their strengths and talents or anything. He chooses them because he chooses them. Yeah. Like, and this is why, like, I, this is why I get frustrated. Like, what's your talents and everything? Like, because that's like, it's not to say talents aren't a bad are are a bad thing or anything like that, but it's like as if to say that's necessarily what God calls you. God might call you to actually abandon your talents mm-hmm. because your talent, because if it's about you, then God's definitely, because the whole point he's trying, I think to get here is, is, is that actually the sinfulness of the church is proof of God's power. Yeah. And that's always been the case. And if you, a brief look at human history proves this point and that this is his thing. He, that this power of God is in forgiveness. Mm-hmm. We, so with this chapter, he's talking about the centrality of Rome, right? Why is it? Does scripture really justify the Pope, essentially? Right, yeah. And he says yes, essentially, <laughs> obviously. He's a good Catholic, you know. Was Pope too, eventually, 14 years after this. Um, but he says, this is... The center of the cross, sorry, the mystery of the cross is perhaps nowhere more palpably present as in the primacy as a reality of church history. Why? Well, Pope, uh, Peter himself, yeah, who denies Christ three times. And what does Christ do? He asks him three times, do you love me? But then, and this is where it gets fascinating, is Christ forgives him. Mm-hmm. And, 
you know, the, the Greek play is also interesting because it's a sign that maybe Peter hasn't even come to a full conversion yet. Right. In the midst of this, Jesus still says, feed my sheep. Yeah. Christ's forgiveness is what constitutes the church's unity. And it's the church's communion. And so he's saying Christ, what is distinctive about God's power is not its ability to reign and to order people and, and um, to have this kind of integralist notion of a social reign of Christ. Not to say that Christ's social reign doesn't exist, but just this notion that, that, that as if the church is to run everything in the world. Right. Rather, he's saying the distinctive character of God's power is in forgiveness. That it says, you are a weak human being who cannot fulfill the office that is being asked of you. And, and I, sorry, I'm actually, no, the, you're good, you're I'm good. preaching to myself here for a second all of a sudden. <laughs> um, <laughs> and that it's the call of God that reigns supreme. And that in all of this, that's where God is doing the work in your own brokenness, in your own weakness, and in the weakness of her members, in the weakness of church leadership. Mm-hmm. This is not to say like, hey, yeah, go sin boldly and just do whatever you want. That's right. not what I mean here, yeah, but it's right. just to say that because for the reason the forgiveness is the center of God's power, but forgiveness is a, is a gift that has to be received mm-hmm. and integrated and, 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 and wanted. And so the if God's power is in forgiveness, then it says, I am... The only way the offices of the church can work, the only way apostolic succession in its office can work in the church as its kind of center and foundation is insofar as those who receive the power of these offices enter into God's power of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Because that's what constitutes the commun- the church's communion. That we are sinners who have been forgiven. We are not. It is not a church of the perfect. Actually, he actually, it's interesting, I read this little part, he goes, later on, he goes, we're not a church of we're not a church of the perfect, but of sinners. And I'm like, that is literally almost word for word for something Pope Francis has said yes, too, right? Which exactly. is very interesting. Um, but that, yes, this is the church. The church is not a place of the perfect, but that's why we're here. And that's why we exist, that we, we've all been forgiven something. Mm-hmm. And so when you lose forgiveness, you actually lose the essence of the church because you lose the meaning of grace. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Even more so than well, the liturgy is part of this, but even more so than the uh, outward expression of the liturgy, even more so than parish culture, even more so than the fact that we all like to have crucifixes in our houses, all this stuff. What binds us together is that we are sinners who have been forgiven. Yeah. And it's so easy to forget that. And are in the process of still being forgiven. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is why my parish has confession like four times a week. Mm-hmm. Um uh, a few things. One, uh, when you're talking about the like, the power of God manifesting in, in His forgiveness, if you really think about it, what makes our religion so different mm-hmm. than any other, what makes the majesty of God, our perception of God, um, unique among all the other faiths? And there's a few things you could pick out, but the most pop- the most striking thing is God's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, is it's interesting like the, uh, I'm thinking about the because um, power and forgiveness to the human mind seem like opposite things that when you forgive you're giving up some of your power right um, 
if someone does something wrong, your job is to crush them. And we all experience that usually in mundane ways in the world, with your boss or with the person who runs this small parish group who's being a little tyrant mm-hmm. uh, or in your like book study or club of friends or whatever. You know, it's it's oftentimes the, the little ty- uh, ty- uh, tyranny of little people that really causes the most day-to-day pain, I think, even more so than the big ones. The big ones hurt, but most of that. And so the idea of forgiving seems to be opposite of that of power. But to truly forgive is a re- it has to come from a place of absolute security. Mm-hmm. Like when... Because forgiveness means vulnerability and being hurt again, the relationship being right. hurt. And so God's never afraid of being vulnerable. Right. Um, it's Christ on the cross. This is why we talk about all the time. Like that, that's his throne. That's where he reigns. Is because even in his complete and utter, utter vulnerability, uh, vulnerable even to death, God loses nothing of himself. But instead, that is the most full expression of our relationship to God. Right. So if that's the case, then that's what we have to do as well. But I'm also thinking like, um, there's a difficulty in the fact that in order for us to forgive, we really do have to realize how much we've been forgiven. Yes. This is a problem I see very much in my life, but just in the lives of regular parishioners as well. That there's a fundamental denial that we are just as bad as everyone else. Right. Um, we'll say that. We'll say we're just as bad. We're totally okay with saying I'm the worst of sinners. But in our hearts, we think, well, you know, I, I haven't, you know, tossed any bags of kittens into the river today. So I'm better than other people. Just today? Just today. Okay. It was a good day. I was in a good mood most of the day. Okay. Um, we see that there are certain sins that are okay, certain sins that are not okay. And I don't mean the distinction between mortal and venial. A lot of times we don't actually care about the distinction of moral and venial. Mm-hmm. We care about the sins that we care about because of various other reasons, right? Right. Uh, and this is a problem with scrupulosity. And, okay, but putting that aside, the more we realize that we are just as forgiven as everyone else, that's where our security and our power comes from, the fact that God's forgiven us. Yeah. And that's when your heart is open to forgiving yeah. other people. And parishes would be so much more functional if we were all more okay with the fact that we're a bunch of screw-ups yeah. on a fundamental level. I mean, and that's the nature of the church. And it's like, and this is why I get frustrated when people get old. Because there's two things at play here too, right? Mm-hmm. If we're getting really, if, if our focus is overly on what's going on day-to-day, both locally and internationally in the church, mm-hmm. we've put too much of our faith in men mm-hmm. in that sense so it's like it's not to say that these men aren't important or that they're off but it's like it's actually more that they're bearers of an office right this is so he goes in earlier but like the notion of the sacramentality of tradition i was like Ooh, boy. <laughs> right because this whole notion is it's not so much them it is the office they bear mm-hmm. it is that they are that manifestation through history of the church's continuity when you are with them you are with the church you are with christ okay mm-hmm. and so you actually, and, and yes, there's obviously an obedience to them as a person because they, be, like, there is that element of it, person, word, and uh, witness, and, and, and the spirit all come together in, in the kind of sacramental notion of, of tradition here. 
but really it's not so much them as what they bear mm-hmm. that is uh, that is and that that's god's work in them despite their weakness frailty stupidity whatever it is right and that the church is this place where this work this is all worked out yeah do what you are gonna have bishops who are heretics we've yeah. had them before and so like i guess i get i i don't understand and i've always struggled struggled to understand why people worry so much about what's going on in the church be not to say that we should not want a often we worry about things that actually we have no control over whatsoever mm-hmm. and so what a waste of energy um but then um um at the same time we need to recognize that it is god through them who bears his presence to us by assuring us of this continuity in the church through apostolic succession and so like and that we would actually do better perhaps and this is one area where maybe leadership in the church could be better of saying yeah do you want to screw up too i'm so i'm I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, it's amazing. They say by saying this and recognizing this, and I, like you are not, because this is the thing, and I think it shows us that actually, as a church, we've still given in too much to a worldly sense of power. Because mm-hmm. we're afraid that if we show weakness and vulnerability, that we have actually. And yeah, do you what worldly power is going to try and trample over that? Absolutely. And actually, it usually does. Mm-hmm. But the it's actually failure that God's grace works the most, right? I mean, and I think what Benedict is using and behind all this is, is Paul's phrase. The per, three times the Lord put a thorn in my side. Three times I asked the Lord to remove this from me. He said, my grace is sufficient for you for my power is perfected in weakness. And then Paul goes on to say, where I'm weak, there I am strong for the power of Christ resides in me. This power is so powerful, it can endure weakness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, Paul talks about this elsewhere and it's a reading we often get with um, the feast days of the apostles. Yeah. We bear these treasures in clay vessels, right? Kind of a weird, crappy 60s hymn, yeah. but also a deeply true, th- true reality that yeah. this treasure is born by fallen broken human beings and that this is this is what god chooses to make himself say like i am actually the god who saves because the church is still here mm-hmm. <laughs> despite us yes right but that the church becomes most herself when she actually enters into god's form of power because this most notion of forgiveness is power plays out in the notion of mercy as the fulfillment of justice right so like mercy and justice aren't in opposition with each other forgiveness is not in opposition to power but actually it's fulfillment yeah right and that when we act out of this in the church and when we kind of fully embrace this that's when communion really begins and in some ways like this is in some ways the central spiritual problem that we've dealt with in every age of the church and we're going to like we haven't done ourselves any favor by forgetting this yeah. because then people want the well-run parish, the, the perfectly organized bureaucratic structure that the, the best programs, right? Yeah. Actually, no, I think when we fail, it's actually where God's really able to start to work. Mm-hmm. Oh, interesting. Yes. Um, so, uh, 
the, the thing you mentioned about like people in leadership saying that they're sorry, mm-hmm. I, that doesn't happen a lot right now in, in the church, for a particularly specific reason, that if bishops say I'm sorry, then they're opened up to lawsuits, right? right. And, and yep, and this doesn't mean. And also, just giving those bishops uh, or even priests the benefit of the doubt, in that they see as part of their job to keep the structure of the church going. Mm-hmm. That if we get sued, then we can't have you know people will lose their jobs. That um, if the church collapses, we won't be able to do our do our job as church. Right. Mm-hmm. So best case scenario, it's not about best case scenario. It's not about personal legacy or anything like that. They're trying in a misguided way to uphold the church through human means. Mm-hmm. But I think we've all felt this so much. Like, if bishops literally said, I am sorry, mm-hmm. when priests literally say, I am sorry. And I may have shared this um, story on the podcast before, but it's one of the most formative moments uh, that I had in seminary. Um, I was, I think I just told you the story last night, too. Uh, it was in seminary. And I was in a dark place because I was a seminarian. And, and it's just, it just is what it is. You know, it's a lot, a lot of stuff goes on, emotional, mental, spiritual. And I had found out that our masses were going to be broadcast over the radio. So we're going to bring in equipment that we broadcast oh, yeah. over the radio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And which is fine. There's going to be like 15 old ladies who will listen to our mass and they'll probably pray for us. Right. Also, because who listens to the mass over radio? Old ladies. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so, and also the mass is always this public thing, mm-hmm. you know, there's nothing wrong about this, but it bothered me because it felt like there was going to be another, yet another set of eyes watching me in the chapel now. And you really feel that as a seminary. Absolutely. Like, you actually feel that less as a priest for some weird reason. Yeah. You feel that more as a seminary. Because less people who have eyes, you have more eyes on you as a priest, but they don't have power over you. And also... They don't have that. Like when you're a seminary, it's like that. We're keeping our eye on you. We want to make sure you're going to get through. Or yeah. or where, where are you going to end up, man? Like, is this, is this are you going to make it? Yeah. Well, it's like, oh, you're a priest already. Fine. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it is. It is a weird experience, but I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I was very upset by this. I went to uh, my rector, and he was on the treadmill at the time. Not a good time to talk to anyone. No, that's a horrible idea. Yeah. And he, he's, he was exercising because it's good for him, not because he likes running. So he was in a mood. And uh, he got off the treadmill, and we started talking about it. And he ended up just yelling at me. Just yelling at me. And I was very upset by all of this. And I was uh, afterwards, I was talking to one of the other seminarians. And he says, yo, just wait. Give it three days. Mm-hmm. He'll call you into his office and apologize to you. Mm-hmm. So he, this rector already had the reputation among the other guys that he's, okay, he's powerful enough to say he's sorry. And sure enough, like three days later, when everyone had calmed down, he brought me in and apologized for how he said the things he mm-hmm. said. We ended up having a good conversation about just the situation itself. Mm-hmm. And from that moment on, I would have jumped off a building for that man. Yep. He had more authority in my life than he ever had before he had messed up. Yeah. And that has always been an important lesson for me, knowing that one day more and more I'll be a leader. Mm-hmm. Right? That's... Uh, and, and I've also had experiences where I have genuinely apologized to people and they won't have it. And there's a certain kind of pain and suffering that's valuable in that as well. Uh, but even those situations, it was still right for me to apologize. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, it's, it's one of those things when we hold power fragilely, mm-hmm. uh, the power itself becomes fragile. Right. When we hold it in confidence because we know it's not ours, it's, a, it's, what, it's the office given to us by God. Yeah. 
then you're able to connect with people on a real level, that level of forgiveness. And yeah, like I remember, um, the priest who's been like a real mentor to me in so many ways, um, I was his assistant for two and a half years and we, we, we knew each other really well, yeah. right? Like really, really well. And so when you know someone really well, you're very comfortable with them. Like, you know, like families, right? Yeah. Like you, you one minute you're angry, but you can forgive. And like, and like, there was moments like that where I kind of blew up at him or whatever, but I was able to go back and apologize yeah. and he did the same. Like, and he go, you know, it, you give it some time or whatever. He goes, I shouldn't have yelled at you. I'm really sorry. I just got really stressed in the moment. I'm like, totally fine, right? But because of that, we were able to really love one another in a beautiful way, as as as, as assistant and, and pastor, and we worked super well together because of that. Like, I never wanted to leave. And days like today, I actually kind of want to go back, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that that when you have real forgiveness, and it's hard because it's like it's also it can't be manufactured, right? It's got to be real, and it's hard because like I think part of what the, I think this is like it's actually kind of in weirdly weird way, well not weird way maybe, but this ties in with like stuff like confession when people are coming back over and over again where they're beating themselves up. It's like yeah, I'm giving you the words, but you don't your heart hasn't been opened yet to receive what God wants to give you, mm-hmm. right? Or. Um, even with, there has to be a closeness that, like, so for example, when you're a priest with parishioners, that closeness with everyone is impossible mm-hmm. to create that felt. But then it's like, but it's important for everyone on the ground to do that with each other mm-hmm. so that through them and through, um, um, that we can all mediate this to each other that, because it's not just the responsibility of the priest, it's the responsibility of everyone to start living this, right? So like this notion of forgiveness then means like, we all have an equal starting point in the church. Yeah. Right? That act- That is actually an equal ground between us, like, clergy and laity. Yeah. Right? Yes, there's a hierarchical constitution to the church. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Although I've always liked the idea that the hierarchy is, in a way, inversed in terms of service. Sure. Right? Yes. Um, and so this notion of forgiveness puts us all on equal footing. And we can say, yeah, I'm a sinner. And I screwed up. I'm sorry. And someone could say, it's okay. I receive this. Because I think in some ways, too, even stuff like the stuff from the news from the summer and stuff, I think a lot of times it becomes scandal, not because it's scandal, but a sin has happened and we don't want to forgive. No, I'm not talking about like criminal stuff here, right? Right. And, but it's like, and forgiveness does not preclude like important punishments and restrictions exactly right it's like it's it's, yeah yeah your sin sells consequences right right like and i've had to deal with that as a pastor in the past where you're like you have criminal record you can't do x y and z in the parish you're welcome here like you really are you're welcome you're loved but you can't have this job yeah it's a consequence of your actions Mm -hmm. and not something you bear for the rest of your life but forgiveness says but you can still enter into god's love here yes and You're that's still the a part key, of the community. Right. Because really, in the end, that's actually all that matters. You know, handling the collection basket really is a very low. It's not going to get you to heaven, probably. No. Right. <laughs> and I think I, so I just kind of want to share that because I thought it was just a really beautiful way of re- recognizing that because I think we just forget this a lot too much and we focus on the wrong things. And it's a sign, actually, that we lack 
a real spiritual vision of reality. Mm-hmm. And we lack a prayer life as a church. We lack receptivity towards God. And we lack, lack the Marian dimension of the church and all this stuff. Because there's like, like that Marian heart actually is, it's interesting. She is someone who never had sin. So she knows more than anyone what forgiveness is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we need as the church to embrace that heart because she knows that every moment she's saved yeah and needs it she's it's it's weird because in a way the deepest kind of forgiveness was her immaculate mm-hmm. conception it's maybe not yeah. forgiveness but mercy yeah um uh yeah absolutely and also because now i'm thinking about a more concrete example because you mentioned it with you you and your uh pastor friend um one of my best friends who i've talked about him on the podcast before my buddy carl um every we've you know been friends for a long time but like every three years we have a big blow-up fight yep uh and we end up like hurting each other's feelings yep uh but it's actually because of those fights and then us eventually Mm -hmm. being vulnerable with each other saying you hurt my feelings and apologizing that's exactly the reason why we are such good friends exactly it's it's a more and you know in marriages too yeah if you're gonna be married for any amount of time this stuff is gonna happen probably on a more tense level right yeah but by forgiving each other that makes the communion more like so much more strong than it could ever be otherwise exactly and and this is the thing i mean this this happens in families like literally every day Mm -hmm. right and and um it's I want to put this it's actually pretty core to our experience of being human yeah and if we give it two minutes of thought we realize actually yeah this is this is what brings life mm-hmm. and so the church will be most herself when we actually start to live this more so yeah i screwed up and i'm really sorry not to excuse it but to say like we're all we're all on that same footing and we're all in that same place and that's why we're here yeah and I think I think part of this is like you know because like this is where like those criticisms oh the church has lost a sense of sin and stuff and I mean yeah that's true and sure because the sense of sin though at the time as it was often portrayed was a sense of like imposed guilt mm-hmm. and not the sense of real sin but then you have this reaction and that forgets this but we forget that by acknowledging sin as actually the place where love begins and that guilt and sin are not things guilt is not a shameful thing. It's actually the start of God of being immersed in God's loving mercy. And speaking of like the power in forgiveness, like what is what is I mean, I think for most people, the heaviest chains we wear is this deep fear that if people really knew our dark side, we would not be loved. Right. And what that experience of forgiveness gives is like, no, I've really seen it. Mm-hmm. And I still love you. Mm-hmm. And I forgive you. That's what those words that I absolve you mean, really. Yes. It's Jesus saying, I love you. But yeah. but I have this. Yeah, I love you. But I have I'm like, yeah, I love you. Actually, I remember I was on a retreat once where I was like, I was doing like some Ignatian meditation. I was imagining the cross. And like, essentially, like, I found like, I don't want to go into the whole meditation with it. But it was essentially like, I had to almost like say my sins. And every time I did it, it hurt him. And yet he still loved me. Yeah. And I'm like dang yeah and that's that's how we're supposed to be with one another yeah. right that vertical dimension starts to play itself out in that horizontal yeah and as far as the fact that we're not doing a good job at this right now yeah in the church and yet 
God is still working grace through his church. Well, we get to see that every day as priests. I mean, this is the great irony of it all. Yeah. Is that our actually biggest weakness is our inability to live forgiveness mm-hmm. as this fundamental, and, and that that's actually, that weakness is precisely where God's grace is still working. Good. Yeah. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah, that was neat. A little shorter. It's fine. I think that's a good little episode. I think so, too. Uh, yeah, we found our group again after. Yeah. So, uh, basically, the reason why we didn't have an episode last week was because uh, Nick and Riley had a baby and Father Harrison was going on. Uh, I mean, I've been traveling around. Yeah. But don't worry. We're, we're still going to do our very best to put out. Every week. Every week. That's yeah. still the goal. But stuff happens. And, and so I, I would have felt you. guilty if I had asked Nick to edit an episode last right? week. Right? Impossible. I mean, I still feel a little guilty asking him this week. Well, we'll, we'll find out. Maybe there won't be bumpers. Maybe we'll just put out the episode. Because the sound files are all together. We need Nick to still make us sound better. <laughs> okay. We'll okay. see what happens. We'll see what happens. And also, maybe Nick doesn't want to do it. Uh, I, I, I can always fudge it. Sounds good. But anywho, uh, thanks guys for forgiving our uh, lack of an episode last week. I feel closer to you, listeners, because you've forgiven us. Isn't that beautiful? Amen. 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 (laughs) So thanks for listening to the podcast. You can find us... uh, Oh, wait. um, Yeah, you can... Wait. Tell your friends about the podcast. Ah, okay. Thanks for listening to the podcast, guys. Tell your friends about the podcast. Tell your enemies, too, because Jesus says we must love our enemies. You can find me holding my little niece, Indy. She's so cute. You can find me at Fr Harrison on Twitter. You can find the podcast at ClericalPod on Twitter. Email us, clericalspeaking at gmail.com on Facebook. In all those places, find us, the podcast, wherever you find your podcasts. And we will see you all next week, probably. Unless I fall into hopeless despair. Uh, Which I probably won't. I'm too I'm too positive of a person to fall into hopeless despair. A few hours of despair, but you'll yeah, get out of it. Yeah, I'll get out. Good. All right. Peace. God bless.